Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wilds Cast. You're in for a real treat. Today's episode is a special one. It's a conversation between Rabbi Wilds and Rabbi Yona Bookstein. Rabbi Bookstein is the co founder and senior rabbi at the Pico Shul in Los Angeles and is also the co director of Camp Neshama, a spiritual retreat for Jews in their 20s and 30s. In this episode, Rabbi Wilds and Rabbi Bookstein, both longtime friends from their decades of working together at Jewish outreach on opposite coasts, discuss what Judaism looks like in the age of Corona, the Black Lives Matter movement, and how we can all elevate our spiritual lives in these historic times. So I feel very, very grateful um, and privileged to be able to uh, introduce and talk to a, a friend, someone who I consider a real friend and colleague, and someone who I have a deep, deep administration for, Rabbi Yona Bookstein uh, from the Pico Shul in Los Angeles. Uh, Rabbi Yona is the co-founder of the uh, L.A. Pico Shul and co-director of Camp Neshama, which is, uh, hopefully we'll, you'll hear all about that as well, Projects Building Spiritual Community for Jews in their 20s and 30s. And we have a tremendous affinity because we are serving similar populations just on different sides of the coast in the United States. Um, and Rabbi Yona is also uh, the Community Outreach and Director of Shabbat Tent, which is an awesome movement and community. Uh, he has worked with Jewish communities across the globe, inspiring a rebirth in Jewish communal life. Years ago, before we actually met, he was director of the Ronald Lauder Foundation in Poland, uh, which culminated 10 years of dedication to the rebirth of Polish Jewry. And later, Rabbi Yona served as campus rabbi at Long Beach State and UC Irvine, and then running J-Connect and Jewlicious, love that name, in Los Angeles. <laughs> uh, the forward has called my good friend here, Rabbi Yona, one of the game changers uh, in American Jewish life. He was also named Jewish community hero by the Jewish Federations of North America and one of the top 10 Jews in social media by the National Jewish Outreach Program. He is one of the most followed congregational rabbis worldwide on Twitter and blogs regularly on Huffington Post Jewish Journal. He's a graduate of Or Sameach in the holy city of Muncie, uh, Oxford University, and what I've just figured out I cannot pronounce properly. Help me, help me. Yagelion. Yagelion University, which is in Prague. Krakow. In Krakow, Krakow. excuse me. I'm sorry. As old as the Charles University in Prague. In Krakow. And also the University of Oregon. That is a really interesting uh, bio. <laughs> uh, I've had the honor of knowing Rabbi Yona for many, many years. And I want to start by thanking Rabbi Yona for everything he does for the Jewish people. And I'm going to be more specific because together, a couple of months ago, we at MG were faced with a real dilemma, and that is Passover. So many of our participants were going to be alone, not even with their parents, for the holiday and uh, we have, of course, technology, which we've been using, but we, we put a hold on technology for Shabbat and for the holidays. And we figured out this brilliant idea. Let's just get a rabbi who's three hours early to do his Seder for us. When it's our Seder, we'll put the thingamajigs on before the holiday starts. And Rabbi Yona did it. And he did a brilliant, brilliant Seder. It was three, years, uh, three hours earlier for him. We had... Uh, over 400 people that participated uh, on Zoom. And uh, I just really want to thank Rabbi Bookstein, my friend, uh, for everything he does for the Jewish people and for that specifically. Welcome, Yona. Wow, that's uh, quite an introduction. Thank you so much, uh, Rabbi Wilds. Uh, Mark, uh, it is phenomenal to be uh, together with you on this podcast. Thank you so much for the kind words. Leading that Zoom Seder uh, was one of the most original experiences that uh, I've had as a rabbi. And uh, I appreciate the appreciated very much the opportunity to be able to help uh, people have a, a meaningful Pesach. And it also underscores uh, why we are such, uh, 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 you know, brothers in arms, because we see issues in the Jewish community that demand uh, some kind of attention and solution. And we're not afraid to go out and try things to try to make a difference and to, to help 
it was a complicated effort, but it was never a question of, are we going to do it? Just kind of, how can we pull it off? Totally. And I can't, I, I'm still getting emails and texts. Thank yous. The expression of gratitude was just very forthcoming. The other thing that I've always loved to do with you, Yona, is uh, lobby in Washington on behalf oh. of the state of Israel. You know, I, I'm from New York, so it's like sometimes going to my member of Congress is like preaching to the choir. But if you want to if you want to get to talk to members of Congress that have never met a Jew, have no Jews in their constituency, then you got to call up Yona before uh, the APAC conference. And he somehow we just walked the halls of Congress together. We literally knocked on doors. And um, I don't know, you had some environmentalist stuff uh, besides besides. Um, That's right. Um, the APAC material. And I thought that was great. And um, I look forward Oh, when we can get back to Washington, right? APAC. I heard, I heard that they've already uh, postponed the in-person APAC for 2021. Uh-huh. And uh, so we're going to have to come up with some other uh, lobbying agenda for the two of us to get to D.C. sooner. Oh, man. Well, here's what I want to do with you. I, I, I want to ask you a couple of personal questions, which I think our readers and our listeners we don't have readers, we have listeners. Our listeners, I think, will appreciate. Um, and then I want to talk to you about COVID and how you've been not only coping, but but growing uh, during this period of time. I mean, let's start at the beginning. Did you always know that you wanted to be a rabbi? I mean, was there a different profession that you had considered? I'm curious what it was um, and why you chose this um, beautiful life. I, I love this question. And the answer is, I did not always think I was going to become a rabbi. And when I got to college, the campus rabbi and the local community rabbi, they were really excited. They're like, oh, you know, you would make a great rabbi. And they were really pushing me in that direction. And I was very hesitant to go in that direction. But based on their, you know, my love for them and I was working as a Jewish student leader on campus, and I taught in the Hebrew school. So I said, you know what, let me go check out some some rabbinical school. I went to the East Coast, you know, I went to New York, and and I uh, famously remember having great meetings. I remember my meeting at YU, and I left there and I said, this is not for me. I'm not gonna do this. I'm gonna go pursue my academic uh, career. And, I was cleaning up some files a few years back and uh, and I, was, I found a letter from the YU, the rabbi who I had spoken with and said, you know, listen, if you're interested, uh, you know, you know, please follow up with us. Uh, we think you could make a great uh, addition to our program here. And the date on the letter was exactly uh, 10 years um, prior when I eventually did get smicha <laughs> later on. And, you know, sometimes life takes you in different directions. I'm very, very happy uh, the direction that I took going first into academic life and really having a broad experience and exposure in that way. And then ultimately realizing that I didn't want to just study American Jews or Jews around the world and you know, become a researcher and a teacher in that milieu, but that I wanted to make a difference in Jewish life. That's what really spoke to me. And then I pursued that and uh, never turned back. That's great. Well, good decision. Uh, We are the beneficiaries of that. You've obviously been around a lot of other rabbis many, many years. Now, what has been the most surprising thing that you've discovered about being a rabbi? Or, or the strangest thing that you've ever been asked. One of the things that happens, and I'm sure, Mark, this happens to you regularly, is you end up in the most unusual conversations with people when they discover you're a rabbi, right? <laughs> there's one thing about the community people who you are in touch with on a regular basis, and there's that interaction. But like, for example, just yesterday, a gentleman came to look at the roof that needs some repair. And he asked me for my email. 
And just out of, you know, just instinctually, I just gave him my work email, mm -hmm. you know, and, oh, he says, are, are you a rabbi? And I, you know, he didn't notice. I wasn't <laughs> particularly, uh, I was in my work clothes. We're mm -hmm. doing some house, you know, yard work. Well, for the next 45 minutes, he wanted to discuss Israel and the importance of Christian Jewish relations. And, oh, if this enormous conversation developed, and, you know, and those are those kind of things that I never, ever anticipated the the uh, serendipitous beshared moments where I've been able to share different experiences with Jews and non-Jews and connect with them when they find out I'm a rabbi. They they want to talk about being Jewish in the aisle of the supermarket. They want to ask your advice, uh, you know, about something uh, in the parking lot, you know, of the Safeway, you know, like those kind of things I never, ever anticipated uh, happening. I always thought about a rabbi in terms of the classes and the spiritual counseling and leading services and that kind of aspect of the job. I never had any idea about the 24-7 nature yeah, of the profession yeah. because my father, my father, Al-Vashol, wasn't a rabbi and I didn't grow up in a rabbi's home. You know, it's it's interesting. I always used to, you know, we're always so goal oriented. You and I, we have things we want to achieve. So like, you're running to the store to get something. Somebody stops you, wants to talk about, it, and like, it, it hit me also. And I'm, I appreciate this the answer you're giving, because those are really part of our rabbinate. Those are really part of what we're here for. Those conversate. You know, you know, I love John Lennon. One of his one of his great lines. In the last album he ever put out, Double Fantasy, he said, life's what happens to you while you're making other plans, you know? And right. like, I'm just like, this is like an annoyance. I'm trying to get this done so I can get back to my real job, okay? Right. And you're bothering me with this, I don't know, but that is, that's part of the real job. It really is, it really is, Mark. And the uh, impact that we can have in those kind of situations, we'll never fully know. And I do believe that they are totally beshared. Those interactions are beshared. They do not happen by accident. Mm -hmm. God just arranges those kind of meetings for us. And uh, we just have to go with the flow and not fight it. And what's it been, uh, you know, what's it been like in terms of your impact now? In, in other words, I, I know that I am so, you know, I, I need to make a difference. That's just, I'm hardwired. I know you are as well. That's why you chose, as you just said, to get into Jewish life, not to, not to be sort of in the academic world, nothing wrong with that, but you wanted to matter now for the Jewish people on the West Coast. Do you feel you still matter? Uh, do you feel, yeah. I think, I think that you've, you know, you've asked, uh, this is such a powerful question. It could be asked, I, I would say, of any rabbi, uh, especially uh, you and I who work in a non-typical uh, fashion. We don't have the typical synagogue uh, structures, uh, but have an organization that is much more uh, outwardly focused than the normal synagogue, which is mostly concerned with their membership. So... It has been a huge change, right? We thought that this might be temporary and now it's looking like it's gonna be lasting for a long time. It has proven uh, impactful to every single thing that we do in our lives here. My wife and I um, were used to a whole set of programmatic elements during the week, meetings, programs, retreats, all those things, everything comes to a grinding halt at, to, through no fault of the board or, you know, the, the <laughs> professionals, right? This is divine intervention. And it took us a while to really, and it's still taking us a while to figure out what is the best role of, of the rabbi and the rabbits in, in a world where we don't have the normal operating uh, procedures. So we've been trying lots of different things and we're going to keep trying different things and the things that that work, we'll keep doing them and things that we don't think were as effective, we'll 
you know, so it's a lot of experimentation. It's a lot of uh, trial and error. Also, I will add, and I don't know what the situation is like in New York, but in LA, there's a lot, there's, it's not so simple when it comes to synagogue services. Uh, they were on, they were off, they're off now. You're not allowed to meet indoors for services in the whole state of California. Mm -hmm. uh, you could do an outdoor minion. My board felt that even the outdoor minion at this point was too risky. Mm -hmm. They're very mach and myself and the board were very machmir, right? We're very stringent on pikuach nefesh, on ensuring that nobody gets sick. And that has really, so we've stopped all of our Shabbat services. Wow. Wow. Yeah. It's been a it, big thing. I don't. It's interesting. You, we, we, did we, you stop? Yeah. So we just like literally went the opposite way. We haven't met. We, we, we closed down for Purim and um, which I'm very happy we did because unfortunately a lot of people in New York got sick during Purim. So I'm very happy. And I give our good friend Rabbi Ezra Cohn credit for that because he was um, he was one that really pushed me to to do that. And we haven't been everything has gone virtual. And we haven't been open until last Shabbat. Literally last Shabbat, we held a oh, roof, really? rooftop uh, daven and rooftop prayer services, and we're continuing this coming Shabbat. We're adding Friday night now. We started with Shabbat morning. We're doing Friday night and Saturday morning. Outside, New York is open inside too, smaller numbers, six feet, masks. And uh, people feel more comfortable, I think, outside as well. But so you're not open at all now. And you were. When were you open, Yona? We were we closed right after the let's see, we did Purim. Uh Purim was still up in the air and we did Purim. Mm -hmm. We did the Shabbos after Purim, and that was it. The Shabbos morning after Purim, and that was it. And then there was a brief reopening uh about a, in June. They gave the okay to the synagogues in LA, and that's when a bunch of synagogues started opening up with the uh, outdoor minyanim. Mm -hmm. And we tried that, uh, but we don't have our own outdoor location, right? And right. so we were doing it in uh, in people's backyards, mm -hmm. and it was uh, we only could fit 20 people, right? We could right. only fit 20 people, and it just did not feel like it was re it wasn't fulfilling our purpose it basically you'd have to get different 20 people every week uh the logistics were very challenging you had extra cleaning staff there to clean the bathroom between each person and we ultimately decided that we couldn't pull it off in a safe way i don't know about m you know uh mje we like to sing a lot and the health authorities are saying you shouldn't have, you know, people singing and dancing. Uh, it was tough. It was tough. We're trying to think now about the high holidays, Mark. So I don't know what you guys are thinking, but uh, we're trying to find large outdoor venues for the high holidays. Right. Well, it's it's so interesting that you use the number 20 because that was the number, uh, you know, we... Uh, our partners at the with the Jewish Center, you know, the uh, uh, the Jewish Center community, and they were gracious enough to lend us their roof, uh, and they gave us that number twenty. They said that's the max. And I also I thought the same thing. I we were we were spacing our seats. Uh, we've got this stick that's six feet, <laughs> and we're putting it between each of the chairs to make sure we have the six feet. And and I was very nervous about last week. Last Shabbat was the first time, and I have to tell you, it was so beautiful it was like so pure it was great now you're right you couldn't do we couldn't have a big kiddish afterwards like you like we always have every shabbat those of you listening uh the the pico shul and the mge services on shabbat are, are very very similar both in terms of the constituency 20s and 30s and less of a background in judaism perhaps looking for something a little different um and the 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 they're they're super social super communal super social and how do you how do you do that? How do you do that if you can't you know high five or give a hug, or or hang out and eat afterwards? 
That's right. Yeah. It's it's uh, it's exactly what you say, Mark. And it, uh, I think everybody's going through this. I, I, there's one more thing that we started working on that, in, uh, that I should mention in addition to the online programming is we launched a bunch of chesed projects mm. with members of the of the shul. Uh, one is a job board where people can post jobs that they that they have mm-hmm. or they've heard about or know about for other people in the community. Uh, one is a project to provide um, assistance for people who can't get out of their house. So we have a group of volunteers and when a task or a need comes in, this group gets this blast and people can, you know, take it take it so to speak they can grab that opportunity that mitzvah beautiful we did a fund a fundraising campaign we raised uh and distributed about twenty thousand dollars in emergency chesed grants and uh then the other thing actually we didn't start it but we we joined this group of uh from the baltimore area baltimore washington area that were raising money to bring food kosher food to the emergency room uh, workers and we we did some firefighters and emergency room workers here in Los Angeles and uh, members of our community have continued that Beautiful. and also we've been getting tr- trying to round up donors to the local Jewish soup kitchen in Pico Robertson mm-hmm. to try to expand what they can uh, offer because you know everybody's been hard hit and those who were already vulnerable have been hit the hardest yeah. I'm I'm writing some of the stuff down because I this this is all some of these things we're doing and some of the things we're not, you know I, I find just uh, like last Shabbat um, when I welcomed everyone back I was like I, w- I was so emotional, and you know all the twenty seats we set up on the roof were taken, and I started just thanking certain people from the organization who had been helping out, and Jill pointed out there were two women there, both of whom round the clock. Um, two doctors, one nurse, um, who are putting themselves and have put themselves in harm's way uh, each and every day to uh, help heal people stricken with COVID and other ailments. And um, I think one of one of the things that we, we we need to do is just take care of our own. You know, take care of the people who are taking care of other people. Uh, we have those right. those those holy souls in our own communities. You know. Um, but I love I love the ideas. Uh, I'm writing this down. The um, you know raising money to distribute kosher food to emergency workers, uh, local soup kitchen. Um, there's just endless needs right now in the community. Um, and and what would you say has been the most successful, let's say online or virtual type of engagement that you've had in these last few months? I'm asking it selfishly also. You know what? Always looking for best practices. We always steal. You know uh, what is it? Um, what's that expression? No, Im- imitation yeah. is the best form of flattery. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a great question. It's the metrics and the things that we used to use, Mark, to determine what was an effective and good program <laughs> have to change. Yeah. And uh, you know, let's say we had an event, right? So in the past, we say, okay, how many people were there? Were there new people? Did they enjoy the event? You know, did they learn something? You know, what those kind of metrics. It's very difficult today to use anything that approaches those same kind of metrics to to determine if something we're doing is uh, good or is not good or not good. I will say that the uh, thing that we are doing that every week we are doing that seems to have a real ability to keep people feeling connected okay that's the goal mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. is is the musical live havdalah every saturday night that has really uh become something that we just we did it without any planning mm-hmm. right any thinking about it oh it's havdalah let's just we let's just broadcast on facebook our family havdalah right and now we've been doing that every single week. And we have people who tune in, not just from L.A. We have people who tune in uh, from all over uh, for have, for this live musical Havdalah. And uh, that has turned out to be something we're really excited and proud of. Uh, we're going to be 
one of the programs we have coming up is a virtual seminar. Like you, we would run a summer retreat, mm -hmm. which of course had to be uh, canceled. So in its place, we're running a three, it's, it's actually be like a four part seminar for relationships. And this seminar is gonna have speakers from Israel, South Africa, New York, Los Angeles, and to help Jewish singles overcome emotional, psychological, spiritual obstacles in their way as they try to become, you know, married individuals. We're also going to have at the end of the seminar a virtual date virtual dating rooms where people are going to get to meet a whole bunch of singles that participated in the program with them. Uh, as a dating well, when is this the honor we got to do this together man this i, I got to get in on the, this it, it starts very soon it starts <laughs> on sunday the 26th oh my gosh uh, it starts on sunday the 26th and um it's kind of a beta pro, uh, beta we've put a lot of time into mm -hmm. it but we've never attempted anything like this uh and uh you know please god it's the first of of many of these kind of uh, uh, seminars. It, it's it's a lot of people registered, mm -hmm. and uh, we'd be happy to have anybody from you know your community involved. And we look forward to uh, you know to doing more of them if this is successful. Well, give us the information, and we'll put it out there because one of the things that we did, uh, we also do the Havdalah is great. I do it with my son. I'm sure you've seen it, and it's I have. I just I, have. I love it, and uh, a little hectic. Because we do it before Shabbat, we do Kabbalat Shabbat, and this Friday night, by the way, and um, we're doing live in person, and we're doing live online because we can only take twenty people in person, and we've got hundreds of others coming online. So, it's it's wow. uh, you know, and it's beautiful because you're inviting people in. I don't know, you know, <laughs> my wife didn't like this in the beginning. But I just turned the camera around after we were done with a couple of Shabbat. I just put her on the spot. And I was like, and now we're going to light the Shabbos candles. And she's like, ah. Um, and I've been doing it. I've been doing it every week. And it's, you know, when you have kids running around and stuff going on, and the whole house has to, you know, we're in an apartment, you know, everybody has to be quiet so so that we, we can do it. But I, I, I applaud your Havdalah because. It's a great way for people to start their week and take out the Shabbat. It's something anybody can participate and, and, in. Right, and they feel connected totally. right, with each other and with, yeah. the, with, their, with their rabbi. You're doing it on right? Facebook you know, Live or you're doing it Zoom? We do, we do Havdalah on Facebook Live. So I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you my, my struggle. And then I want to get something a little deeper. We'll get a little more spiritual because um, this is a little more technical. But I love Facebook Live because... Um, you know, it lives there. So even if people can't participate in real time, they're they're flipping through their Facebook feed and it comes up. A lot of people who listen, who don't listen when we're doing it can listen later on and participate later on, which is great. And, and they do. Yeah, and they do. Yeah. yeah. I, the problem is, is that you don't get as much of the feedback as you get from like a Zoom session where you can actually see the other person a little back and forth. But... Um, it's a catch, you know, like one has an advantage. I don't know how you feel about that, whether you prefer teaching on Zoom versus Facebook Live, uh, Instagram Live. What's your favorite medium? I really like um, Facebook Live. I know that it has certain limitations as far as the interactive. And so what we've done is, okay, ready for this? So we have a we got a screen so we could see the comments mm -hmm. that people are leaving uh, so we can react and talk to people right, great. Uh, while they're, while they're doing that. Rachel uh, staffs, so to speak, she's there with her phone. And so she's interacting with mm -hmm. people. It's, it's not perfect. No, that's, I, I've seen, not... I've seen you do that. That's great. What I do is I stick my face as close into my phone as possible and freak out as many people. They could see my left eye and then I can read the comments perfectly. <laughs> yeah, that's that's, uh, that's, an that's another way of doing <laughs> yes. it. That's another way. Uh, you know, it, 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 it's, uh, it's definitely avant-garde. <laughs> <laughs> now, I mean, I, I the whole Instagram live thing, I have not been able to to uh, uh, to break into mm -hmm. or, or feel like it, it's speaking to me. And um, 
but we have we do post videos up on Instagram. Right, right. And and Zoom, I find, is great for classes and stuff like that, you know. Uh, but then the problem is, is that it's if you if somebody wanted to see it, you have to repost it. Yeah, on, it doesn't on, work for reset. Yeah, you got to choose. The, the Almighty is forcing us to choose. You know, <laughs> a medium. So if you, so, are you doing anything besides on a regular basis besides Facebook? Just the Zoom, and and uh, Benjamin, yeah. who's been extraordinarily, extraordinarily helpful, who you've met. Um, uh, has this wonderful be live kind of uh, program where we can put multiple people. Uh, let's say I can't do Kabbalat Shabbat on a given Friday night, so he can zoom in our chazan who lives in Brooklyn with our you know other rabbinic couple who live in Teaneck, you know, or staying with their their in laws in Teaneck, so um, they can kind of be joined together. Um, you know, and, and we've done a lot of conversations. Just getting back to your whole singles, which I think is a really important question. For our listeners, you know, so many of MJE participants and Pico Robinson, 20s and 30s, a lot of their social life has been put on hold. Uh, I've been very encouraging of people to Zoom date. I've, it's, it's, it's been met with mixed reviews. You know, sometimes I'll get like, a, I, can, I can hear the eye roll on the phone. Um, and, right. and other people are like, no, I, I, I know a couple of people who are in serious relationships now because of Zoom dating. And we actually did an entire night with the founder a friend of mine who founded uh, Saw You at Sinai, Mark Goldman. And, Mark, Mark Goldman. Uh, yeah, and, and also a, yeah. um, a, a Brooke who was a, a, a wonderful matchmaker who lives in Florida. And we, we talked for an hour and a half basically about strategies, best practices for young people to date. If there's any advice out there that you can share, um, because I, I just it, it, that's what's killing me. One of the things that you know MG prides itself on is how many people meet and marry through our organization. And, you know, absolutely. How is that going to happen online? You know, well, I, I think that uh, I think that it is, has made it very challenging because one of the ways that that we both have worked is it's not just about introducing people. It's also about giving them a common experience that helps to uh, build that friendship and that nascent relationship together. So if they're going to Shabbat dinner at MJE uh, a couple weeks in a you know a couple months in a row, and all of a sudden they like each other, they have that common milieu where you just don't have that. So I think people need to take more, uh, uh, be more. Risks is not the word because risks involves that there's like some kind of <laughs> bad thing that could happen. I don't mean risk in a risky way. People have to go outside of their comfort zone. That's what I would say. They have to go outside their comfort zone. They they have to try all different kinds of programs and uh, just realize that not everything's going to be perfect. And that's okay. That's okay. It's okay if it doesn't work out, if the event didn't work out quite right, because these are uh, uncharted waters and we all are explorers in the, the field of, socializing and shaduchim and matchmaking and getting to know each other in a world where we're actually not supposed to be hanging out too much physically. I'll add one more point, which is singles that I speak with all the time now during the COVID era, all of them say that they are more serious about getting married than ever before because going through this period of time without a life partner has been really challenging. Yeah. yeah. Have you seen that as well? I, have you I heard that as well. I have heard that from a number of people, and that could pre- that's a good segue into our the next question I was going to ask, which is, you know, what impact is this having on the neshama, on the soul, on who we are, existentially, spiritually? You know, I'll, I'll tell you one interesting fact: in the six months following nine eleven. There were a record-breaking number of engagements and marriages in New York. And I always ask myself, like, how did that happen exactly? Does that mean that all these people just met who otherwise would not have met? No, it means that people who knew each other already and were not sure whether they were going to make that kind of commitment looked at what happened in the world and asked themselves, you know, do I do I want to be stalling my life any longer, given the reality, what's going on, and and I think that's um, 
I think that's a very profound way to go through life, which is, um, which is to look at the things happening around us and to ask, how am I, how am I reacting to this? Am I changing with change circumstances or am I staying the same? And what kind of spiritual message am I supposed to be taken from quarantine, from the shutdown of the economy, from not being able to be connected to other people as easily as before? How are we supposed to grow from this spiritually? And I, I, I'm asking you that question, but I, but I feel that that is, you know, that, that, that this could be a great moment for people. We, uh, we, all of us, you know, have, have, uh, this, uh, close identification as Jews with community and, uh, especially, you know, people who are the most involved as, as conveners of community. And so for us on a certain level and for myself, there has been a, a little bit of a, I even call it a little bit of a mourning period where I mourn what we had and what was, and realize that it's not going to come back like it was any day soon. And so then I, I, you know, I spoke in with my mentors and we've discussed, you know, what is, what are the implications of all of this? And there has to be a, uh, something that we're all going to draw from it. One of the things that I loved with what one of my, my close, really my, my close mentor, Rabbi Zimmerman spoke about right away was that many of us, and I'm speaking many of us like even rabbis and people who are heavily involved in Jewish life. Part of our identity and our connection to Judaism was that social element of the synagogue. And we did not spend enough time connecting with God. Mm-hmm. We spent a lot of time connecting with each other mm-hmm. and with prayers and with the learning. But were we connecting with God? And now, as we're on this more, this different plane of of COVID existence, we have to strengthen that relationship with God. We have to build that relationship, which which atrophied. I find that very uh, uh, moving, and I have tried to focus on that and and realize, yeah, that's actually true. You know, I I don't spend enough time uh, in in hitbodedut, in meditation, in, you know, in trying to think about my relationship with God, trying to connect with God, talking to God in a personal way. So I've, I've been working on that level. The other thing you said, which, which, which really, uh, uh, you know, resonated about the, about letting life pass you by. Uh, I think that that is another big message is you, we all want to plan out things, many of us, right? But I think this is a big lesson, right? That we don't, we're not in control. And hopefully that will push people to live a life more of bitachon and of putting their trust and faith in God and take those leaps of faith into good relationships that they just never, you know, got married. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the messages, I think you and I may have spoken about this once about Sukkot, very classic message, why we leave the permanence of our homes and go into this temporary shaky dwelling to remind us that a lot of what we think uh, is giving us support in life um, is somewhat of an illusion. At the end of the day, everything is in God's hands. And this Corona is just one big sukkah in a sense, you know, in, in the sense that it's all... Absolutely. And it's hard because um, if you're a planner and, and you have goals and you have things you want to achieve, then this is just throwing everything into disarray. But I think, like you just said beautifully, it's just a, a very stark reminder of the temporality of life and how we've got to seize now and do whatever it is, you know? So I'm hoping and I'm seeing... We really some, have to. Yeah. Yeah, I'm hoping we're going to see. I just remember those months following 9/11 in New York. It was just so people were so kind to each other. There was such a sense of, you know. And I see people now with masks in New York, and whether it's at the toll booth or it's here, and there's just a stay safe, stay safe. There's this like beautiful connection. Um, and you know, to your point earlier about the spirituality, I think it is exposing. I think the fact that we can't be social. And now you want to know what's left. What's, you know, 
social, you know, you've heard of this term social orthodoxy, people in the orthodox community who are really just in it because of the social components. They're really not invested or connected spiritually. Well, the, the social orthodoxy, one of my mentors said to me recently, is it's taken a really a gut punch, you know, a, a punch to the stomach in a serious way because what do you do when you don't have that social? You just have the relationship That's between right. you and the Almighty. And I don't know, maybe this is, you know, look, we're not prophets, we're only rabbis, so we can't really say why these things happen. <laughs> but I know it would be a shame if this whole period of time came and went and we didn't figure out a way of getting closer to Hashem through Torah, through mitzvot, um, on a personal, very personal level. That's not dependent on the community or the rabbi or the chevra, but just because that's who we are, you know. I think I think that's absolutely true, Mark. I, I I'm one hundred percent. We have to have been moved as people and as a community. And I, I'll add on to that the the chesed component you mentioned those doc the doctors who who are on you know on the roof with you davening uh, those kind of of people uh, have been working helping people and and we don't give them enough uh, uh, love and support and there there has to be a I think an reorientation within our community uh, to to uh, uh, celebrate. Yeah those people who are the those on the front lines those who are the helpers those who are running the chesed groups you know we all can fall into the trap of honoring uh those who are the philanthropists and and they deserve honor because without those philanthropists right none of the programs and projects that we do can happen but i think unfortunately and it never was anyone's intent we we haven't been honoring and showing enough respect and love and support for all of those who are the frontline chesed workers, yeah. healthcare workers, doctors, they have not gotten the love and support that they, that they need from our community. And hopefully this will be a, a little bit of a turning point. We can kind of balance things off in how we recognize people's contributions to our communities. Uh, this might be a um, getting into territory that, you might be um, not interested in getting into, but I'm just curious because I struggle with this. How much do you talk about or do not talk about the Black Lives Matter, the protests, the riots, everything that's been going on that's sort of exacerbated an already tense uh, world? Um, how much do you feel it's your responsibility to weigh in or just keep your mouth quiet because... It's so complicated, you know, I'll just tell you, there are very serious ethical and moral issues here, and so on one hand I feel, as a rabbi, how could I remain silent? On the other hand, I've been taught, and I know you agree with this, not to wade into the, unfortunately, cesspool of politics. That's the last thing a rabbi, in my opinion, should be, uh, you know, um, voicing an opinion on. Um, so, you know, have you been vocal? Have you been talking um, to your students about this, maybe privately counseling people, advising people. You know, I have a lot of students interested in being involved and are involved in the protests and Black Lives Matter, but also very concerned. A lot of others, supporters of ours who see anti-Semitic elements within Black Lives Matter and BD, pro-BDS elements. How are you dealing with this? Well, we we do have a similar approach, Mark. Uh, I do not want to get drawn into uh, political battles, and I don't want to uh, make our organization or any of the programs we do partisan uh, in any way. We try to be nonpartisan. Mm -hmm. And yet there is a glaring uh, uh, social matter, like what happened to George Floyd, which was representative, uh, unfortunately, of a pattern of brutality by certain members of our wonderful police organizations around the country. But there are certain elements within those police organizations who do not treat uh, black and uh, people of color with the same kind of uh, manner and uh, respect and uh, legal uh, in a legal way mm -hmm. that they do uh, other people. And so here in Los Angeles, a group of rabbis, we issued a letter uh, some thought it was too really controversial. Some thought it, it was totally too parov, you know, 
we, we, but we wrote about it uh, right away uh, that, that we need to be um, upset as a community uh, over any in, in injustice. And especially as American Jews, where we all benefit and are grateful for the country we live in and the systems of justice here and what is possible here in America, we need to speak out when the systems of justice are being abused and when somebody uh, like that uh, didn't deserve to die. So we, we need to be, I believe we need to be supportive uh, uh, in that sense. Uh, as far as identifying and supporting the organization itself, Black Lives Matter, or the slogan Black Lives Matter, that's where things have gotten a little bit right. you know, iffy. We, we don't support the organization Black Lives Matter but we do support the idea that black lives matter. Uh, it has become so politicized here in LA. I don't, it didn't happen in, in New York, but one of the black lives matter rallies uh, happened in Pan Pacific park. And after the rally, a, a basically a, a, a whole evening of looting and rioting broke out primarily targeting a couple of areas of town with lots of Jewish businesses, multiple synagogues and a Jewish day school were tagged uh, with graffiti, but also thousands of other buildings were tagged. Uh, hundreds and hundreds of stores were looted and broken into uh, up and down Fairfax, Melrose, Beverly Hills, um, called, uh, 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 into Century City area. And the challenges, you know, you have Jewish people in L.A. who feel very identified with the Black Lives Matter. And so they are part of the, you know, been involved. And then you have those who feel that it's all a cover for some big anti-Semitic, anti-Jewish uh, effort and feel that it's uh, an abomination. And I'm trying to find a way to let people identify with the cause of fighting injustice. And so you don't have to support any particular organizations, but we have to be sensitive to these issues because they impact all of us and they impact other people who are made, but Elohim, they're made just like us in the image of God, and they deserve to be treated like Selim Elohim. Yeah. Do you feel that it was... Uh, targeted against, I, I saw some of the articles in, in L.A. Uh, do, do you feel it was, is there evidence that, that there was a... You know, the person, the person who wrote an article calling it a pogrom or a Kristallnacht, uh, I find that that was totally unnecessary sensationalism mm -hmm. because during Kristallnacht, only Jewish businesses were targeted, right? Uh, the, and only Jewish synagogues were targeted. During these Black Lives uh, rally, the, the, the aftermath in, in L.A., Santa Monica, Venice, Culver City, all over the whole area, the valley, all of that looting that took place, the vast majority were not Jewish-owned businesses. Right? They were CVS pharmacies, Walgreens, mm -hmm. um, Best Buys. You know, that people were going after, you know, color TVs and, uh, uh, and prescription drugs. That was the main, and, and watches and uh, jewelry, right? That was what was really targeted. So calling it a crystal knot is a gross mm -hmm. uh, uh, distortion and sacrilegious in a way because crystal knot was such, it's such a, a horrific event in Jewish memory. And calling it a pogrom is equally. There were no uh, uh, Jewish families who were, who were victimized and attacked, dra dragged from their homes. Women weren't raped. I mean, come on, let's be honest here. This was not a pogrom. It was not Kristallnacht. Were Jewish businesses targeted? Were synagogues targeted? That, uh, uh, that is very likely that there were people in those riots who on purpose, obviously when they wrote, you know, uh, F Israel on the side of the synagogue, it was on purpose, right? right. Um, so, but, but I think we really need to be careful. And those articles only, only, uh, uh, help the the polarization uh, of communities and don't do anything to, I believe, really protect Jewish life. Right. This is a difficult uh, time. I, you know, I just don't want to ever 
you know, as rabbis, we are supposed to be calling out um, acts of anti-Semitism. You know, um, we are. We we can't and and you know, and uh, standing up to them. And, and it's you know sometimes I have, but I also I'm so so concerned that MGE will be con- will be considered sort of aligned with more with the Republican Party versus the Democratic Party, conservative versus. I don't know if I, you know, I I, I got the call. My friend Dove Greenblatt was no longer working for the Trump administration, but when he was, he called me and said that, uh, you know, and asked if I would consider uh, giving, I think I spoke to you about this at the time, the invocation at the Republican National Convention uh, after Trump had been uh, uh, selected. Right. And um, he said to me right away, he's a supporter of MJE, and he he says, look, Mark, I don't know if this is going to put you in a weird position, but, you know... um, we have, you know, we're we're asking if you would like to do it. And I took a poll and I really, you know, that's like a very quick way of getting yourself out there, which is part of yeah. what we're trying to do. But then I asked myself, right. you know, if this was the Democratic National Convention <laughs> that I had been asked, I was asked for the Republican. Now, am I, I'm not technically supporting Trump by doing that, but I am, am I technically supporting a party of the U.S. government. So how do you do this? And I ended up having to turn them down, and I'm still happy that I did because so many of our participants and students at MGE really, you know, whatever, whether you like this or not, they really have very, you know, ill ill will for... Strong feelings. Strong feelings. Strong strong negative feelings for the administration. And I don't want to be associated with that. It's a hard... We have a hard enough time getting young Jewish people to be excited about their Judaism. We don't, know, we don't need to, you know, throw in the, the political. Um, on the other hand, it was like, it bothered me a little that I couldn't do it. I mean, I, I you know, because I, I love this country and it was a great honor to be asked to be part of, and, you know, whether it was a Democratic or Republican convention, it didn't really matter. I was asked to give a blessing, a spiritual benediction. Um, at the uh, Republican National Convention, and I couldn't do it because of the divisiveness and the polarization, and 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 I wouldn't do it again I, because I, you know it would compromise yeah, what yeah, we're trying to right. do, but it's a shame. Mark, I I really respect your decision, and I really respect your thought making process, and I respect and wish that more rabbis uh, weighed their thoughts in such a careful way, like you just articulated, because uh, without calling out any of our colleagues, Mm -hmm. because they all, every one of them, you know, is we're all on the same team. We all are on the same team, all spiritual leaders and all rabbis. I believe we are ultimately on the same team. Maybe that was a big statement, but I I do. I I agree with that. I agree with that. And, and and I, if we're, if we're really supposed to be here as messengers and as helpers to help people connect with God and Jewish com- and the Jewish community and, and Jewish tradition, we need to be very careful with what we do and how we identify with, who we identify with. Um, and I, I don't believe it's more important that a rabbi publish an article pro or against uh, a president than uh, I don't believe that. The, I just right. don't believe that right. that's important. No. I don't believe that's an important use of their and, title right. and their their time. Uh, it's absolutely fine when they are speaking on a private way and they're talking to people. They can discuss these right. things if they want. But to take that stand, and I so I really applaud you. No, for I appreciate your, that because it's process it's and, it's and it's, it's hard because you know the last thing I don't want to become irrelevant, and I know you don't want to be irrelevant. And all of these important conversations are being had on the public level, and we and, and I and I stand behind it, and I really appreciate the chizuk and the support and the encouragement because part of me feels because I'm silent on some of these issues purposely, intentionally, that we are the 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 public is not hearing as much of our perspective as otherwise. The problem is, you know, everything in life is a cost benefit analysis. The consequence of expressing our true feelings every single time something like this happens back and forth with all is that we will lose spiritual credibility with a constituency that disagrees with our perspective on that particular issue. 
you know, and then when you get up to give your drush on Shabbat, you're the rabbi who loves Trump. You're the rabbi who hates Trump. You're the rabbi who, forget it, doesn't. So I, I, I think at the end of the day, we have to steer clear. Um, but it's, it's not without, you know, struggle. <laughs> it's not without struggle. And I, I would just say that, um, for example, you can discuss issues, uh, certain issues. Uh, for example, I gave a class, I gave a sheer on uh, Jewish opinions on gun control, mm-hmm. right? When that was a big issue, uh, uh, a bigger issue on the national scene. So, you know, there actually I got the some of the Maramakomo, some of the sources I got uh, from Rabanan.org. Right. You know? Yeah, sure. Uh, RCA. Uh, yeah, they're great. Yeah, there's, they had a great, uh, some greats. And so we had a terrific conversation with people. What is the Jewish approach to gun control? And I know you do programs like that on other subjects. Yes, 100%. And, and that's how we do it. Right. Here's what, here are different Jewish opinions on these issues. So let's do a class on what is the Jewish uh, concept of Selim Elohim? What is the concept of, of, uh, of, of justice? What does justice mean from a Jewish perspective? That you and I yeah. and other rabbis, yeah. we can really help our our community by by expanding that conversation and not get bogged down into the 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 muck of the of polarized political yeah. debate yeah. in America. One hundred percent. I mean, they say that the, the Gemara says that chachamim marbim shalom ba'olam. That the Torah scholars are supposed to increase peace. That's what in we're the supposed world. to do. And there's no That's way there's no way to do that if if we if we get. Uh, so I appreciate that. Thank you so much um i um is there anything i'm not asking you that you'd like to talk about <laughs> i'm not really a professional what? interviewer here i just started this podcast what? you know <laughs> i one of the things that uh one of the things that i'm really uh, spending a lot of time thinking about is the jewish community's views on the subject of health and wellness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, it's something that I started thinking about when I was ex- having some health issues. Uh, uh, and now that COVID is the issue of the day, I think that the Jewish community, um, because of our great emphasis on scholarship, on professional, uh, 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 becoming professionals, becoming successful in in various careers that I don't know about you growing up, you know, a lot of uh, emphasis on, on what we're going to do in our careers. And, and especially uh, the, we've, we've ignored the the commitment to uh, taking care of our health. And um, uh, I hope, and I, this is something I just wanted to add on here. If something I'd be fascinated what you have to say about it. I feel that, we have sacrificed uh, Jewish uh, health and, uh, for the expense of other things um, because we're doing very well. Uh, many people are in the society are doing well. We're, we're, we're physically not paying attention to our health. And I don't think that we're living up to our God-given uh, obligations to take care of our bodies. Yeah, I, I unfortunately would. And our health. I unfortunately would agree. Um I never understood growing up, and I grew up in the Orthodox community. I understand that there's a, a greater focus on the soul and the spirit, and therefore maybe not as much focus going to the gym or eating healthily. But if you study the Torah sources, uh, there really is supposed to be, we're supposed to be more careful with what we put in our mouth. We're supposed to be careful with issues like uh, obesity and and diet. Um, and we're, we're just not, you go to the typical kiddish at the tip, you know, I happen to really admire the amazing lunches that you, and I know your amazing wife cooks for, for, for your whole congregation. And I, when I, when Jill and I, my wife and I came, she was like, look at all the salads, look at, you know, I'm like, oh yes, yeah, the West coast, they like to eat salad here, you know? Um, <laughs> and, uh, no, but that's, that's part of your approach. You, you believe that that is a spiritual religious imperative of Judaism, that we don't just put anything into our mouth, even if it's kosher. And uh, famous uh, uh, ruling of Nachmanides, the great Kabbalist and uh, Talmudist, 
who interpreted the biblical phrase kadoshim tihu, right, to be holy. And he says that is referring to where you are following the Jewish law. You're eating kosher food, but are you doing it in a holy way? Because we both know that you could eat lots of kosher food in a very, very unhealthy way. Unholy manner. And when it comes to corona, um, I don't really, you know, there there was a very stinging uh, lecture given by one of my my sons, Rebbeim, in YU, Rabbi uh, Torsky, brilliant, brilliant rabbinic scholar of our generation. And he was extremely critical of a lot of synagogues that stayed open. We're not practicing social distancing. I don't get it. I don't get it. Everybody who knows the Aleph Bet, the A, B, and Cs of Judaism knows that as important as it is to come to synagogue and hear certain things read from the Torah or Davin Betzibor, they don't come anywhere near in the hierarchy of values as Ushmartim Etanav Shotechem, that one should guard their their soul, which refers, according to the Talmud, to one's physical body. Putting anyone in harm's way in order to fulfill a mitzvah is an absolute violation. And, um, you know, and, and, and I don't get it. I, I, um, I, I you know... I, lo- I don't get it either. I don't get it either. And uh, uh, I, I'm... I, I, how do we... Uh, I mean, I'll tell you one thing. How do we get the word out? I'll tell you one thing. Before, <laughs> how do we get the word out? That before the, answering... God cares about these things. Yeah, I mean, I think just... And it's one of the reasons so many religious Jews got COVID. Um, is that it's so... It it's such a part of our culture to be together, to daven together, to have kiddush together. It's like, it's like removing the whole... So many important parts of Shabbat from like it, it it's so foreign to us it's so i that's the only way i can understand just practically what happened is that it, it's such a radical departure from our normative lifestyle right if you go to shul a couple of times a year you you'll live with it you'll wait till the high holidays we'll figure out the high holidays but if you go to shul every day three times a day shachris minchan marv and then all of a sudden that's shut down it's understandable that a lot of people are going to figure out whatever kind of way they can to get back to that. And I guess that's Lishvach. That's kind of like a nice positive spin on it because it's so part and parcel of who we are to Davin Betsibor, to Davin and Dominion. But objectively, intellectually, we know that there's no justification and that we need to be more careful. I don't know. I think this is a great time to launch um, classes, seminars, sensibility, uh, development when it comes to uh, health and wellness. It's just, uh, I mean, I've seen a change in the last 20 years, um, you know, but uh, the, like the silly things, like I remember when my eight-year-old, my, my he's 23 now, when my 23-year-old was eight, he watched a cartoon and discovered and figured out where meat came from and then right. and he refused to eat it. He wouldn't eat any meat anymore. And he was in a little more of a yeshivasha school at the time. Great, great, great place. A lot of hakar satov, a lot of gratitude to the teachers and rabbeim there. And they were just so upset. How do we get this kid to eat meat? And I said, <laughs> I said, like, at the end of the day, like, let's say he decides to become a vegetarian. Wouldn't that be, you know, as long as you're not become a veg- becoming vegetarian because you think it's immoral to take, you know, an, an, an animal for its meat when the Torah clearly permits it. But there's no imperative to eat meat. Okay, we have, okay, the carbon Pesach and Passover, and we have Shabbat and, Kash and, and, and Yom Tov, there are. But if you're, you're not eating meat because of health reasons, and there are a lot of good reasons not to eat meat because of health reasons, then, That's right. then why is that not more celebrated in our community if there are so many Torah sources that would support that? Um, and, uh, and maybe this is an opportunity. That's something that you could really spearhead because you you really live well that. i i appreciate that and uh it's you know let's hope that we can uh collaborate and and on great uh great new endeavors that enrich our community expand what we're what people think and know about uh about this issue 100 percent. 
I want to thank you, Rabbi Yona. This has been great. I, we, I can go on and on and just continue to talk, but I, well, I know you've got other it, stuff to it's do. It's such a treat. <laughs> it's such a treat to have a chance to schmooze with you. I know. This is, this Rabbi is, Mark, thank you. Thank, thank you, Rabbi Yona, and Hashem should bless you and your family with continued good health and success in continuing to enable your constituency, your community, to, to feel connected, to be connected. And Hashem should bless us all. We can get out of this thing as sooner than later so we can get back to doing some of the other wonderful things we so love doing. Um, you know? Amen. Amen. Thank you. And I, I, all the blessings uh, should, should also be uh, reflected in all of your work and your family. And everyone should, please God, be healthy and safe and, uh, and connected. Amen. Thanks, man. Be well. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Wildscast. Subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. If you haven't already, please leave us a review on the Apple Podcast Store. It only takes a minute, and when you do, it helps others discover the show. Music from today's episode comes courtesy of Yosef Wilds. For more information about the Manhattan Jewish Experience, please visit our website at jewishexperience.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks again for joining us.